Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good morning, Ned. Ciao, Davide. Where are you? I'm at the Giro d'Italia. I know that. I mean, where are you? Oh, sono a Torino. È il giorno prima della gara ciclista più bello del mondo. Overly ambitious attempt to never stray far fallow from the daily goings on of this year's Giro d'Italia, Ned Bolton and I will be speaking every morning to recap the goings on of the day before. I'm David Miller, and I'll be hosting this show from the comfort of my home in Girona. And I'm Ned Bolton, and I don't know where I am. So seriously, where are you, Ned? Okay, David, I'm in a, um, I'm in a, fi- ah, this, you'll like this because you like, um, motor cars, don't you? You're kind of a bit of a petrol head on the car. I love motor cars. So I am, I am in a, um, Fiat themed, <gasps> a Fiat themed bedroom. Oh, I've read about this and this is, you're in the old factory? No. Oh, it's not the one no, with not, the, the circle at the top. No, it's not. It's not that interesting, oh. really. It's just a very ordinary two-stroke, three-star hotel on you know somewhere near the centre of Turin that is kind of oh, like is kind of um, latched on to the Fiat heritage in Turin and has decided to. So, right above my desk, where you can see me talking to you, I've got what looks like a big Fiat hubcap pinned to the wall. <laughs> And on my right, they've kind of cut out a section of the of the wall above the bed, and there appears to be a Fiat Cinquecento door, kind of hanging from uh, the hanging that looks like at any moment it might fall off the wall and hit me on the head. That all sounds incredibly underwhelming. Well, it's quite Italian, you know. Yeah, I suppose. You know, but, for, for a country yeah. that overwhelms by definition, it also has a habit of underwhelming on the odd occasions. Well, it's talking of over and underwhelming, should we explain a bit behind um, the concept of this podcast, Ned? Let's do that. Should we start with the title? Because that was a that was a yes. that was a, 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 a kind of subject of some debate between you and me, wasn't it? As we kind of um, apologise for our absence from the airwaves for four months, <laughs> having said we'd do one the next week, um, and kind of reboot with a bit of a lick of paint, pink paint, um, and we thought let's let's um let's go again. Do a daily Giro podcast, and rather than being kind of like, like a little bit um, obscure and kind of um, off the beaten track, let's just abandon the Never Strays Far title and let's go for something really obvious, like Girolissimo or something like that. That's, yeah, <laughs> we did think of going for actually putting Giro's Italia in there or yeah. Italy. Yeah, but then it, that just it, seemed that made, made it seem far too easy for people to find who are interested in the Giro d'Italia. <laughs> so we thought we'd actually. Uh, so we went back and forth, and then you just called me out of the blue from your kitchen <laughs> with a stroke of genius. Never stays fatale. But it was like minutes after we'd both decided to be ghost, give it a straightforward name. We literally hung up. Go, okay, let's think of a straightforward name. All right, get back to you when I've thought of one. And then two minutes later, I rang you and said, No, 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 no. Let's not do that. Let's call it Never Stays Farfalle. 
which I so. think I think is just great. And it's gone down quite well, hasn't it, with one or two people? It's gone down very well. <laughs> okay. And then just to back it up to add to the um, legitimacy, we've got our dear friend Perry to, uh, oh, to do the jingle, Perry's... which is next level even by his standards. And if you are it's... a never strays far kind of nerd and super fan, you will recognise that the annoying Italian jingle that Perry has made for us is actually the same chord progression and theme of our original theme tune, David. It's just been adapted. It's That's super- never strays far. It's, it's never strayed that far. But I love it. The other thing is I had in my mind with farfalle, which means if you don't know, I'm sure you do. It means um, farfalla is a butterfly and farfalle means butterflies. It's the plural. I was thinking about butterflies and I've got a reason why I was thinking about that. A couple of reasons actually I'll come to. But I said, here's the, here's the title, David. Never strays farfalle. And you went, oh yeah, pasta. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even cross my mind, butterflies. I thought, yeah, it's pasta for family. This is genius. That's all we do. Um, so it, it is. You're quite right. It's pasta, isn't it? It's those funny little bow tie yeah. shaped pasta so, things. But there's also there's also a um, lingu- linguistic joke that I, w- I may tell in this episode, in our opening episode, that features the word farfalle. It's very, very funny. And I went to university to study modern languages and it's the kind of joke that linguists tell one another. Uh, well, this, you know what, there's, there's nothing better than pre-warning everybody about how funny the joke is you're about to tell. It's so really let's save fu- it. It's really funny. So I'll save it. I'll <laughs> okay. save it. I'll we'll save, save it for the, the back end, end of the show. I'll save Keep it for people <laughs> hanging on. So what happened yesterday, Ned? Because the race starts officially tomorrow. Um, mm. And did we have the usual shenanigans of a Giro d'Italia presentation? On steroids, David. On steroids, regardless of the fact that nobody was allowed, really, apart from a few dignitaries from Turin, to come and see it. Um, uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, they literally... They didn't roll out the red carpet. They rolled out the pink carpet. I mean, oh god! You know, I mean, just to, to put some perspective, so people know, all Grand Tours have a big presentation in the days leading up, and it's normally in a the most grandiose location they can find nearby. Um, they put up a big stage. It's it's see it's the riders generally hate it because you have to walk around in a lycra in trainers and just kind of hang out and, and wave to people and and just look pretty silly. And then they generally put on live shows and the like that are just painful. Um, and Italy's normally quite good in the sense that it's so ridiculous that you quite enjoy it. It's a little bit like their kind of cabaret television shows. So I've just seen a couple of images, but can you give us a bit of a review? I mean, you, you've, you've, you've basically nailed it. It was, um, it was an amazing look. It's, 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 it's a, it was a really beautiful warm evening yesterday, and it's 23 degrees, um, which is nice coming from the UK. Oh, and by the way, getting into Italy in COVID times was quite an adventure in the first place with all the bureaucracy and the form filling. But that maybe is a story for another day. But yeah, it was a beautiful warm evening. Um, uh, it was on the banks of the River Po, which flows right the way through Turin, as I'm sure you know. And on the banks of the River uh, Po, there's a... Uh, a park called the um, the Valentino Park, which features a, a 17th century castle called the Borgo del Valentino, but also a 19th century kind of um, mock 
uh, medieval village <laughs> that was built. I mean, you can, you can imagine it, can't you? That was built. That was built for the the grand exhibition of Turin in 1864, and it was supposed to be demolished after the exhibition. But do you know what? It's still there somehow, and it's been kind of like quite gaudily restored and everything. Like, this is good. This is this we're is good. Keep this. We're, we're going to roll with it. And 150 years on, it's still there. Um, and uh, at the top of this uh, hill in this park, there's also the Castello del Valentino, um, which houses the Polytechnic of Turin. And it was in the courtyard of the Castello, which is a very ornate uh, Baroque kind of institution. They'd set up this big stage with huge amplifiers and lots of pink carpet. And as you rightly said, I thought you very accurately described a bit like a, a one of those endlessly long Italian studio shows on television, seemingly every night of the week. Um, at one point, quite early on, I counted uh, four presenters on the stage, all with microphones and big kind Amazing. of Br- Britney Spears earpieces, you know. Um, Amazing. And then one by one, they all spoke quite long as well, quite long speeches. And then... <laughs> And then they introduced a fifth presenter onto the stage. This is before we'd even seen a rider, you know. It was kind of like, first of all, let's deal with the really important people, the presenters. Um, The presenters. And there's the other thing they do in Italy, which I think used to be quite awful, the gratuitous use of of young women. But I see they've they've kept it, but they've added gratuitous use of young men now as well. Yeah, I mean, they didn't want to abandon the gratuitous use of young women entirely, um, but they've kind of maybe... (laughs) They've maybe rebalanced their offering somewhat for 2021. <laughs> but it was, oh, it was great. It. Barbara. Bar- Barbara is actually... Um, Barbara. She, she follows cycling. She is actually a very uh, well-informed cycling presenter um, in this particular case. She's very good at her job. But at one point, there was quite a good moment where she walked on stage to do her next bit and introduce her next little theme. Because the whole thing was... The theme of the whole evening was the Divine Comedy by Dante. I'll come back to that. Of course, okay, of course it was. I'll come back to that. But she wa- she walked on to introduce the next thing. Clearly heard a message in her ear that the next thing wasn't quite ready. So instead of what what seemed to happen was instead of holding fort for a bit and just kind of chatting with the other team of presenters on stage, I, had, I don't know what kind of got into her or what she was told to do. But she just turned on her heels and walked back off the stage again. <laughs> it was quite a legend, but. Uh, yeah, so so the Dante theme, the divine comedy, you know, the soul's progression from inferno uh, through to um, purgatory and then eventually paradiso, um, that, they'd chosen that because this is um, the 700th year anniversary of Dante's death in 1321. Okay, and it's a number of, actually it worked quite well for the, you know, if you want to describe the Giro d'Italia as a three-stage kind of race. You know, you've got, you've got, you've got uh, pur- the purgatory of the second week and for one rider and a few riders, you've got the paradise of, you know, the fi- finale in Milan still to come. Um, but they decided to interpret this through the music of Enrico Morricone, which was good. I, I enjoyed that. I don't know what connection he has with Dante, but there was a bit of spaghetti Western stuff going on there. And then various nice. different... Various different um, kind of like uh, performances from um, what, what I could only describe as street artists who you might normally see in Covent Garden, um, some of whom had sprayed their faces silver. 
other 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 of whom appeared to have strapped um, silvery sprayed twigs to their fingers that looked like big icy tentacles, and they ran around stage kind of chasing each other. Um, and some of the others had suspended um, from the rafters above the stage, uh, kind of acres of pink silk, uh, up, up, up which they climbed, intertwined their bodies, and then let themselves fall gradually to the. Uh, it was very, it was very moving amazing. stuff. It was moving stuff. Um, and they also introduced the riders of the uh, Giro d'Italia, the 104th Giro d'Italia, onto the stage. Uh, and, and, oh, regards sorry. to the riders this year, Ned, sorry, just to get it back to the, the biking on <laughs> <beyond> that. <laughs> it does sound amazing. I, I, I shan't be looking it up. Um, the, <laughs> well, it looks like a pretty interesting field. We haven't got Teo. No, I, I think you've named it for Nibali, but um, it's, there is a kind of the young guard coming through for the first time and the mystery of our young favourite Remco. Um, what's it looking like? What's the vibe there? Does it feel kind of like a, a big grand tour in that sense? Is there a tension or does it all seem quite relaxed? It does feel it does feel quite relaxed, actually. Just kind of reading. I'll tell you who looks super relaxed. And that was Peter Sagan. You know, it's it's strange that last year was his um, first participation in the Giro d'Italia. That makes no sense because no, his, no his sense. entire, and he's back for another year. You know, it's very successful for him last year. He picked up his wind, didn't he? His, long, his longed for victory that I said would never happen. Um, but his, his entire cycling education was in the colours of Cannondale, wasn't it? And Liquigas. Yeah, and he does consider himself to be very Italian, doesn't he? And just, kind of, he knows everybody, he knows all the RCS crew yeah. behind the scenes. You know, he looks super relaxed, much more relaxed than he does at the tour. Mm. And you know what? And this he's got is two a, wins under his belt this year. Looking good this year. And this is a parkour, I think, that really suits him. Um, you know, there are all sorts of Saganable days. We're starting to think again in terms of Saganable days, you know, Saganable profiles. And there's a, there's a couple of them. I think there's one as early as stage three. Looks like it might oh, suit him. Um, with a couple is of it, little yeah, climbs. Yeah, I mean, I think so, that's going to be the big one really because Sagan it's like Cav isn't it there's some of these riders got their young guard and we've totally had begun to write off all those older riders and yet all of a sudden they seem to be coming back again slightly and it's um, I've just got my dog coming in crashing in uh, well we're recording sorry. early in the morning because this is a kind of breakfast show so I'm in this dingy hotel room and you're in the midst of family life as all your kids wake I am, up I've aren't got they? kids coming up one by one and a dog yeah <laughs> but it's um, and I think that's that's going to be because looking at the course a bit as well because I have done a bit of looking into the Giro d'Italia it looks horrendously hard yeah I mean it always is isn't it but but perhaps it's not the full 110% you know it's it's mm. it's it's hard there are some massive stages I think stage 16 is kind of designated the queen stage in the dolomites not a summit finish but 5700 meters of climbing I mean, in, wow. you know, kind of insane, really. That's insane. And I think okay, two, yeah. two, two or three mountain passes over 2,000 metres contained within okay. that, which is a huge, well, op in, huge opportunity yeah. for Egan Bernal if he's still in decent shape by the time he gets there, you know, because when it goes over 2,000 metres, that, that's when he thrives normally. Um, I think tomorrow's morning show, Ned, we should go over, we should go over the course in detail. Okay. I think that should be our, our, our preamble tomorrow. Should, because should I just say... Rather than talk about the course, should I just say who's in the bike race other than Petr Sagan? Let's do, let's do people today, yeah. Yeah, so Egan, Egan, oh, don't know what happened to my voice there, went a bit high-pitched. Egan, Egan Bernal is um, spearheading 
Ineos, but the, the, the kind of, he's very lightly raced this year and slight question marks about this stubborn back injury remain, you know, and he, he probably doesn't know as much as we don't know quite how that's going to play out over three weeks, but he's Egan Bernal and, you know, rightly goes in as one of the big, big favourites in a very strong team with um, yeah. Filippo Ganna walked up on stage at the team presentation, leading them all up. And he's just a man. A mountain. He's just, he's a gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> he should be. He's, do you remember our whole Roglic and Alaphilippe thing? With, with Alaphilippe, like that. the whirling dervish and Roglic peeling an apple in the corner. Filippo Ganna would just stride into the middle with three giant steps and he'd produce from behind his back some enormous hammer and just bash them over the head, wouldn't he? Both of them, both Roglic oh, and Alaphilippe. He, he would. He'd just be the one they save for the end of the show. Just literally <laughs> bring him out and destroy everybody. But I mean, also with Netina Sivikov, who's their co-leader, don't they? So who's actually coming in with... She's calling it that he's here to try and win the Giro as well, which is interesting. And it's, it's, I mean, it's not ridiculous, but at the same time, it does almost feel like it's a little bit of a tactic to take some of the heat off Bernal. Um, I think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, But it it served them really well last year, didn't it? Keeping two riders high up in the general club. Well, keeping Teo Gegenhardt in the mix, you know. Um, It seems to be their new tactic. I mean, they've got that strength and depth, they may as well use it. And it does mean that they can play those tactical cards, which very few teams can, because they can be played realistically. And uh, especially with the way Bernal races. And if he's coming back, he's going to want to race aggressively. So by having Sivakov there, he's got that card to do it. Much like how he won the Tour de France was doing the two ups with Geraint but always being the first to attack they're not the only team who are kind of openly and publicly declaring dual leadership the other notable team that's going down that tactical route is DSM formerly Sunweb Um, they've got the second placed rider from last year here Jay Hindley who is a pure climber and um, will excel you'd have thought because he's proven it in the third week of the of the race where he he basically was out climbing his team leader in the pink jersey last year Wilco Kelderman um, so so watch out for Hindley building into the race and coming into his own in the, the flurry of summit finishes and big mountain stages in the third week um, he will lose time in the time trial the final time trial which is 30 kilometres so that's yeah. a that's a factor, and so too will his co-leader David um, Roman Bardet, of whom uh, quite, uh, yes, quite a lot is expected now because Bardet switched <clears throat> team, and um, be interesting to see how those two operate. Is, is this Bardet's first Giro? Has he done it before? Uh, sure. uh, you're asking me to have prepared that kind of in-depth knowledge. I, th- I don't know. I think thought, it, but I maybe. haven't. I haven't done that bit of my prep yet. But I think if he has, he's done it very seldom. I think it might even be yeah. his first. I think it might be his know. first. Well, it'll be interesting. It should, in theory, should be a great race for him. But it's, and he's not got the pressure of France. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what is but quite interesting, know. David, is I spoke to do, my, to do my prep, actually. I spoke on the phone a couple of days ago to Matt Winston Churchill. Ah, oh, Winston Churchill, yes. Who, who is the DS of that team. And he explained to me on the phone that there is a kind of, they, they are dual leaders. But he also mm. said there is a predetermined scenario that they have rehearsed and talked about where of course if, there they, is. if they find themselves isolated, there's just two of them left on a climb and they have to ride. They know between them which one rides and which one sits on the wheel. But he, but I, he, I couldn't wheedle it out of him which one was, um, <laughs> which one was slightly more protected than the other one. So they have kind of determined that. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Then there's um, then there's okay. Uh, there's a big favourite who I'll leave to the end, and I'll run through some of the other riders who might well end up on the podium or even win it. Let's face it. Uh, George Bennett is in the um, Jumbo Visma team. He's not got a super climby team though with him because they've divided themselves fifty fifty down the Dylan Kronewegen route. We'll come on to ah, talk yes. about him. So they've mm. got half a team for Dylan Kronewegen and half a team for George Bennett. And it's not much of a half of a team for George Bennett. So he's he's going to be hard pressed, I think. Um, Vincenzo Nibali uh, wearing yesterday a cast on his l- right, ar- uh, right arm from having broken a wrist that almost um, took him out he's of the still Giro. got a cast on. Yeah, I mean, it's some sort of, I don't know, is cast the right word? It's some sort of protective... Oh, it might be, yeah, it might be a removable kind of wrist guard thing. It's probably super light, you know, and mm. kind of like designed yeah. to, to be, for him to be able to race. Um, Mark Soler is the only GC rider, really, uh, for Movistar. So they don't have the mm. Trident or the whatever the yeah. two-rider version of a Trident is. <laughs> <laughs> the Dudent. The, two, the two-pronged fork. The two-pronged fork. <laughs> They've got a one prong. They've got a one prong, like a garden poker. A spike. A spike. Yeah. Yeah, a kebab stick um, uh, called Marc Solaire. And I just, I can't see him winning the Giro because I'm not sure for all his talent. Uh, I might be... There you go. You've done it. I've done it. I'm just not sure he's got the... Well done, Marc. Congratulations on winning this year's Giro (laughs) d'Italia. He hasn't got the the resting heartbeat of eight... That you need to have to win the deal. To I think he's just not got the temperament from what I've seen to okay. hold it all together all right. for three weeks. All right, okay. No now, Carthy, um, Carthy uh, leads EF in their funky new kit. Actually, it's very clever the way they've decided to unveil these special kits. For, for the Giro. Yeah, it is good. They do it really well. And they do it really well. And it's another good kit. Um, but yeah, he looks he looks like he's grown again. Man, he looks huge <laughs> on the stage. Like the lad hasn't stopped growing. It's about eight, eight foot tall and about three inches wide. He's a giant. <clears throat> yeah, he's a giant. The thing, to, the thing to remember about Carthy is two things. One, he did finish on the Vuelta podium. And two, he can time trial. And... I think that's a real feature of this GC offering, with the exception of one rider, Avonapool. But um, with mm. the exception of Avonapool, they're all quite climby. What there, what yeah. there, what there isn't is a is a Dumoulin or a Roglic or a Thomas who will take back chunks of time on everybody on the final time trial. And so, expect to demolish the time trial equally because they have a chance of winning it. <clears throat> yeah, so no, there, right. there isn't, that's there often isn't the way that the Giro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, especially when you look. At, I mean, look at last year's Giro. It ended up being decided in a final time trial between Teo Gegenhardt and Jay, H- Jay Hindley, who aren't yeah. exactly time trials, and that's normally the way here. Yeah. So it's um, which is the difference between the very big Grand Tours because Tour de France, you're always going to have those those big hits of specialists that can do it all, whereas here they tend to lean, as he said, a bit more towards the climby side. Mm. Um, to wit, there's Michelanda, none more, none more climby than Michelanda, leading uh, Bahrain victorious. Uh, Emmanuel Buchmann, the ghost rider, who might just ghost the his ghost. way into a, into a podium, you know, by not attacking yeah. ever and everyone forgetting about him. Um, uh, there's Dan Martin, crosswinds Dan, crosswinds who is... Who is in really good form and confident and leading the Israel cycling, what's it called, Startup Nation team, also in a bespoke New Jersey. And that is pretty much it. Oh, apart from Simon Yates, who is. Um, uh, Simon Yates, yes. Simon Yates. Who's flying? Who is the race favourite and kind of right, <clears throat> rightly so. But he has never finished better than eighth in the Giro d'Italia. 
which is an Although interesting he statistic. He did lead for two weeks, didn't he, when he finished that year eighth? And he, and he won three stages just... en route, <clears throat> and then he and then he just he had one bad day, he didn't nuked. he? And it collapsed. It, yeah. he, he nuked. Yeah. Um, Fair he's enough. Look, he's looking really good, um, and yeah. And he's looking super confident in a kind of Yates kind of a way. Um, and it's, regards to Vlasov, Vlasov is, is the... Vl- sorry, before we come to Evenepoel, yeah. Vlasov. Ooh. Vlasov, he's one of your favourites as well, isn't I he? Just think, I just think he's kind of... He looks, he's grown as well. He's so big. He's he really looks tall. Big. I didn't know he was that tall. Nor did I, actually. Um, first time I've seen I him face to face. Like I thought he was like a wee guy. Well, I didn't think he was a wee guy. I just didn't know he was a giant. Um, yeah. But this is interesting, isn't maybe it? Maybe they are growing. Maybe, maybe just in the pandemic, they've been growing. Uh, and Vlasov is a, a pandemic. For me, he's a kid of the pandemic. He's a COVID kid because no. his career has come to, to my attention and all our attentions during this lockdown period. So that's the first time last night that I saw him face to face and I was surprised. But he can, ti- he can time trial as well, David. He can time trial. Yeah, he you know, can. He's, he's good. He um, and then there's even a pool. Even a pool. So is this his first race back? First race. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, ay. So there's Jao Almeida in the team as well. And there's kind of talk mm-hmm. that they'll do a bit of a dual leadership thing. I mean, mm-hmm. Almeida had a long spell in the pink jersey last year. And yeah. who knows? He could go deep into the race. So that, that's not fanciful at all. And yes, no. they don't know about Even a pool's form. But here's, a, here's the thing, David. <coughs> I found out yesterday that he weighs 60.5 kilos, which is the, the lightest he's ever been, even a pool. What? He has been, at, just recently in March and April, he spent March in Lanzarote <coughs> and April in Sierra Nevada, training at altitude for two weeks each time. Um, reportedly in Lanzarote, he was telling everybody, I'm not able to train like I used to be able to. So still really struggling from the, the delayed impact of this serious injury. But he came back from Sierra Nevada in April saying, I'm back. Oh, dear. No, it's, it's not unheard of. Actually, it happens. I wouldn't say it's, it's actually quite common for riders of that caliber when they've had a big injury like that to come back stronger. It's, it's, you see it quite over. I mean, obviously with Freeman, it's an exception, but I've seen it with, back in the day with Pantani happened to him. Museo. There were a list of riders. If I go back, I haven't actually compiled it, but I used to always note that. And with his age and his talent, you wouldn't be surprised if it's come back, comes back stronger in one way. And it's quite hard to pinpoint what it is, but he is the, the super dark horse of this race. And he's coming, he's got no pressure, has he? Whatever he does is going to be a bonus. So he can, and he, not that that affects his racing style because he's a maniac, but if he's coming in with that kind of his first Grand Tour, first year at Italia, and coming out first race back since that life-threatening crash, then you'd be like, well, he's just going to go whenever he wants and just could be set the race on fire at will. Belgium hasn't won a Grand Tour <laughs> since 1976. What? Isn't it That's insane? a crazy stat. Isn't it insane? Johan de Munch won the Giro. I think it's 76 or 78. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say 76. Johan de Munch. Holy cow. Johan de Munch was the last Belgian Grand Tour winner. And, and Evenepoel in the press conference a couple of days ago was asked about, by the Belgian press about, you know, emulating, <coughs> Johan, emulating Johan de Munch. And he said, Johan de Munch. He said, that's the butcher in my local town in Belgium. <laughs> Which is true. It happens to, his butcher happens that's to be the called... the most Belgian thing ever. Happens to be called Johan de Munch. And I uh, love it. Apparently this butcher, his phone has been ringing off the hook as people ring up and order their sausages from 
Avonapool's butcher, Johan de Munch. But wow. there we go. I really like Remco because I think he's a smart <clears throat> kid and he's he's a, he's a superstar. And it would just be, yeah. br- I think, it'd be br- if he t- if he turns up, if he is on the form he left off in, mm. and let's not forget what form he was on before the crash. They'd gone four stage race, well, every single stage race he'd entered four. Oh, and they got progressively year, higher, like a video game. Yeah, he was, was just it, going through it? the levels. The last one he won, of course, was Tour of Poland, where he attacked that group with Fuglesang and Simon Yates. Fifty something kilometers out. Five k's from the finish, just, I think it was. Just rode away from. Them. Just, he just right away from them. So it's just a madness. If, if, if he turns out, he's going to win the Giro. If, yeah. if, 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 so there we go. There we go. Um, and that is, that's and, it's kind of that. And yeah. the, the, the last one is because I know you've been on top as, as I have, because I was surprised, and this is the one of the, the kind of darker stories in in cycling at the moment, is the between Groenewegen and Jakobsen and after the, the horrendous crash at Poland last year. Now, I was surprised because I, I just kind of flick in and out of the news. So I'd seen a week or so, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, oh, that's nice. They've met up and resolved everything. And, you know, it's that kind of the Pope meeting the kind of criminal that shot him um, and forgiving him. And it sort of felt like that sort of moment had happened. But then it turns out that hadn't happened. Um, and I'm a bit shocked by this. I was very shocked because I, uh, mm. you know, I think I'd, I'd reached the point where... Uh, genuinely kind of I, I'd, I'd assume that everybody in the cycling world had kind of digested the shock of mm. Grunewagen's at best clumsy and at worst downright um, outrageous assault on Jakobsen in Poland but but a year on or best part of a year on we'd kind of kind of worked it through in our heads we'd seen Jakobsen on the road to recovery and we'd all kind of picked up on the fact that Grunewagen himself has suffered from you know the the kind of um, mental health implications of yeah. having done what he did, frankly, having dealing with his own guilt, and so kind of we thought we'd moved on, and we, you know, Grunewagen's presence on the start list felt felt good and appropriate, and kind of I think we were all hoping he he can just put it behind him and, and carry on racing, and then no sooner had he stepped off the the team presentation stage yesterday than Jakobsen fires this off, um, and and. Quite possibly, if what Jakobsen says is true, has every right to feel aggrieved that um, Grunewagen still hasn't publicly apologised, sorry, personally apologised. That's the point. He hasn't. He hasn't actually, according to Jakobsen, according to Jakobsen, said sorry. Um, yeah, it's amazing, it's, and it's, it's also very the messy. fact that they. It's very messy, and the fact that they did from what you read is they they met in a room in Amsterdam and and spoke and but it was supposed to remain top secret that they even met. So it was obviously an introductory thing, but then it got released and then everyone jumped to conclusion that there was an apology involved. And, and then to find out there's, there's not been an apology. I mean, even, you just I don't know, I just find that really surprising um, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, you, you never know what's going on there, but yeah. it's, uh, it's a little bit shocking. It's a little bit sad, really, because it's not going to make anything easier. Grenovan Gren- uh, 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 could make this a lot easier for himself. Um, and he's just made it a lot harder. If he's to blame for that, then he's messed with his mm. own head uh, ahead of this race. Um, and we'll just have to yeah. see how that all plays out. Um, mm. Okay, do you want to hear my joke? And, yeah, I was just about to say, why don't we finish uh, to contrast that little moment of darkness with some, an incredibly funny joke? But, well, it is quite funny. So, you know, if you've got, I don't know, if you're having your breakfast or something, you know, you it's might want 10, to... 10, 15 minutes? <laughs> put, your, put your cup of tea down because you're in danger, quite possibly, of splurt, blurting out your tea all over your table when I get to the punchline. Um, there are three, three men sitting in the carriage of a train. It's midsummer. 
And uh, they're trundling through some beautiful European countryside. And uh, the train comes to a halt in, uh, in a station, a little remote rural station. And in this compartment of the train, there is a German, there is an Italian and a Frenchman. And um, the, it's very hot, as I say. And the, the, one of them gets up and opens the window uh, just to let, let a little bit of air into the compartment. And a butterfly comes fluttering into the, the compartment like that. And the Frenchman looks at the butterfly and he says, uh, you know, in, in France, we have a, we have, in the French language, we have a beautiful word for this insect. Uh, we call this beautiful insect a papillon. Uh, the word itself is almost as beautiful as the insect. You can hear the sound of the gentle, delicate wings of the insect fluttering when I say the word papillon. And the other two in the compartment nod appreciatively. Then the Italian says, "Ah, you know, we have in Italy the most beautiful language in the world. We know this. It's a fact. And uh, uh, for a butterfly, we say, and also very beautiful word. We say also very beautiful. We say for this insect, we call here a farfalla, a farfalla. Uh, like, yeah, like you say, but your papillon is not as beautiful. I don't know where my accent's going. <laughs> my, my papillon is not as beautiful as a farfalle. Farfalle is perfect for this lovely, lovely insect. And then there's a bit of a pause. And a bit of silence, looking around. The butterfly's still fluttering around in the compartment. And then from the corner of the room, the German pipes up and says, And what is wrong with Schmetterling? <laughs> Told you, it's an absolute belter. <laughs> it's a triumph for linguists. That at my university, that kept linguists, you know, entertained that joke for for the long dark winter months. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Well, on that note, okay. we'll see you tomorrow morning. Never strays, Schmetterling. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.